What's up, everybody? Great to see you guys. Hey, welcome to Crossing. Uh, my name is Mike Bro. in case we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, I'm kind of like that uh, stray dog you fed one time, he just keeps coming back. And uh, just honored to get to come uh, periodically and uh, share with you guys. And uh, this feels like family to me. And want to welcome our Southeast campus and the microsites and those of you that join us online as well. It's just cool that we can all do this together uh, this weekend. Uh, we are in this series that we're calling Flawed Hero, and it's all about the life of a guy named David from the pages of the Old Testament of the Bible, a real historical figure. And last weekend, Shane introduced us, introduced us to this uh, teenage shepherd kid who, even though he was the least likely in his entire family to be anointed the next king, the next leader of the nation of Israel, he is. Uh, he wasn't the strongest, wasn't the tallest, wasn't the best looking, wasn't, wasn't the most intelligent, uh, but he just had the right kind of heart that God was looking for. And we learned that's all that really God cares about is the right kind of heart. Uh, Shane also unpacked the most famous underdog story of all time uh, when David takes on this humongous guy, this warrior named Goliath. And while everybody else saw Goliath as way too big to hit, David saw him as way too big to miss, so with the marksmanship of a shepherd and a sling and a heart full of courage and unshakable confidence in the ability of his God, David takes this guy out. And hopefully that story inspires us to go after the giants in our lives, the ones that trash talk us and stand in the way of our freedom. And we're going to talk about a big one today. And today we find David hiding in a cave. It's kind of a cave like this one. If you've ever been, uh, maybe you've served in Afghanistan or maybe Iraq or maybe you've been to the Middle East, you, you know that there's caves like this everywhere. All through the limestone cliffs are caves like this. In fact, the one that David is in in this story is still there today, untouched from the days of, of David. And so maybe you're asking, what, what's he doing hiding in a cave? Well, his victory against Goliath thrust this nobody shepherd kid into the national spotlight of an adoring public. I mean, he was like number one on SportsCenter's top 10 plays every night for like a month. And the victory parade comes through town and all the people start singing, oh, King Saul, he has vanquished his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Well, this doesn't set well with King Saul. And he gets very, very jealous of David, feels threatened, even paranoid, to the point where he tries to take David out. So David eventually has to get out of town and run for his life. So Saul is, is hunting him down with an army. And David has some guys too, and they're on the run, hiding in a cave in 1 Samuel chapter 24. It says, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Yep, that is in the Bible right there. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, have you guys ever been in a public restroom and you go in a stall and the lock on the door doesn't quite work right? And you're in the stall, you know, and there's only one stall in there and you got one hand on the door as you're sitting there and somebody, you hear somebody walk in, so you give that courtesy cough. You ever do that? Maybe it's just me. It's probably just me. But, but here it is. It's like Saul walks in and David's in the next stall. He can't, and there's no courtesy cough at all here, but he can't believe what's happening. David's guys can't believe it. They say, oh man, check it out. King Saul just walked in. There he is, all by himself. David, now's your opportunity 
Today the Lord is surely telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Take him out. By the way, you and I will always have people in our lives saying stuff like that. Come on, man, here's your shot. This is too good to be true. This opportunity is like an act of God. Come on, you got to do it. Strike back. Tell him. Tell him what a jerk he is. Take her out. Send it. Post it. Tweet it. Revenge will feel so, so good. So David crept forward thinking maybe they're right. You know, what an opportunity to end all, all this. I, you know, if, if I do this, I can stop running. I can go home. And I can take the throne that is rightfully waiting for me. But instead, he creeps up and he cuts off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe as just kind of a warning shot. And then it says David's conscience began bothering him because he'd just done that, just cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Now, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was upon David. Now for every believer, he's in us. And he will speak to us in the moment. Come on. Don't listen to them. Don't do this. Come on. This is not going to make things better. This is not going to make you feel better. It never does. You're going to do this. And, and you think it's finally going to be over? But I'm telling you, it's not. And so David hears that whisper in his heart. Then David whispers back to his guys, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. This is not right. I mean, guys, whether you like him or not, he's still king. God put him there, and God will have to take him down, and I'm not going to do it. And besides, it's not going to make things better. It's not going to make me feel better. It's not going to set me free. You're right. This is a perfect opportunity to take an enemy out, but I don't see him that way. This is not what God would want me to do. It says, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul, showing the right kind of heart and incredible leadership. Which, which made me think about how one of the most important things that we parents can model for our children is restraint and forgiveness. And you and I have to model that for our kids. We have to model. It's never okay to take revenge. It's never okay to run somebody else down. It's never okay to ruin someone else's reputation. It's never okay to call other people names. It never makes you feel better. It only makes you look small and petty, especially in the age of social media. Kids need to see that modeled by mature adults. So here's Saul. He goes to the bathroom, grabs some hand sanitizer, probably has to stand there forever at that stupid hand dryer thing. And when he gets a distance from the cave, it says this, David comes out and shouts after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looks around, probably in disbelief, David bows low before him. Now, gang, this is unbelievable humility here. He doesn't stand tall, doesn't get all big and bad with that mentality. You know what I did to Goliath, don't you? He doesn't thump his chest and say, yo, Saul, where do you think you're going? None of that stuff. He does the totally unexpected. And in humility, he bows low before the king. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? Stop reading Twitter. This very day, you can see with your own eye this isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. I could have taken you out, but it's not in my heart. Now, my guys, on the other hand, they told me to kill you. But I spared you, for I said, I will never harm the king. 
He is still. He's still the Lord's anointed one. Then he says, look, my father, which was a term of tender affection. Saul by this time, by the way, was his father-in-law. You ever had to run from your father-in-law? It could be pretty intimidating. He says, look, we're family. And I want you to see what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. Saul, I was, I was this close. I just, I just cut, it, cut it off, but I, did, I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, and I've not sinned against you. Even though you've been hunting for me to kill me, I'm not seeking revenge. And then he goes on. He says, I, I, don't, know why, I don't know why you've been pursuing me. I'm a nobody. Surely there are more kingly things that you could be doing with your time than chasing a guy like me. I'm not a threat. I'm just a God-loving, guitar-playing, songwriting sheep herder who happens to love your daughter. I'm not pursuing you. I'm not pursuing your throne. I'm not pursuing any kind of power or payback. I'm just going to leave all of that to God. Well, this really messes with Saul. And it reminds me of a really cool passage over in Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament of the Bible where it says, my dear friends, don't take revenge. You leave that to God. Leave the reckoning to God. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. What it's saying is your unexpected, humble reaction will make them think about their own heart. And it happens with Saul. breaks him down. The king begins to cry, and he says to David, you're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. And who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you've shown me today. He says, David, you're a better leader than I am. You're a better man than I am. He goes on to say, you're going to make a great king. That's the truth. And the kingdom's going to flourish under you. And when it does, just promise me that you won't take the axe to my family tree. And so David promised this to Saul with an oath. And Saul went home. But David and his men went back to their stronghold. Now, just a side note, I thought it was kind of interesting when it said David and his men went back to their stronghold. You see, even though Saul cried, and even though he said, like, nice things to David, David didn't trust him yet. You know, he, he never really owned his part. He never showed any kind of sorrow or repentance. You see, before reconciliation can ever happen, not before forgiveness can happen, but before reconciliation can happen, there has to be ownership and repentance. So David doesn't leave, like walking out of the cave with his arm around Saul saying, we good now? It wasn't time for that. And you know, sometimes reconciliation never really happens. Even though you forgive that person, there still might have to be some boundaries you keep in place as trust is rebuilt. And if you'll keep reading, David was extremely wise for staying in that stronghold because Saul wasn't ready to make good. He would not stop hunting him down. So what he said, we get out of the cave uh, for, for a moment here and get into where we live. Let me just say a few things about resentment and revenge and forgiveness. Because this uh, payback, can't let this go, always looking for an opportunity to take somebody else out mentality is literally killing way too many people. And David knew that if he let that happen to him, 
It will get a grip on your heart. It will rob your peace. It will steal your joy. And it ends up locking you in a prison of bitterness. Now, I know a lot of men, a lot of us guys, we get an adrenaline rush about payback stuff. We, we watch a guy like Denzel in the Equalizer dishing out retribution to all these bad guys, and we get thinking, yes, yes, give me five minutes alone in the cave with that guy. I'll show him who's king, right? That's the way guys, that's the way us guys think. And some of you women right now are thinking, you are so right. Men are so pathetically immature. <laughs> oh, yeah? I saw a video of Carrie Underwood singing at a concert recently, and she was singing these lyrics about her cheating boyfriend. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Yeah, exactly. And every woman had her phone in the air going, yeah, that's right. That's what he deserves. Payback feels so good. We're all pathetically immature. And we all fall for that lie that revenge is going to feel so good. It's a lie that the enemy feeds us. It's a lie that keeps us from getting well. It's a lie that keeps us from being whole. It's a lie that keeps us from walking free. Look what it says. Here's the truth in Job chapter 5. Resentment, it kills a fool. And envy, it slays the simple. Or as one of Job's friends reminded him, you're only hurting yourself. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. So I, I, I did a little search through Scripture. I don't know whether you've ever done this in your business, if you own a business, do a little cost-benefit analysis. I decided to do a little cost-benefit analysis on bitterness, hang, hanging on to bitterness and resentment in your heart. Now, these are only a sampling, and you might imagine there's a, there's a high cost and zero benefit. Uh, you might want to jot these down or take a screenshot of Scripture references or whatever, but if you hold on to bitterness in your life, the first thing I found is it causes spiritual blindness. It says in 1 John chapter 2, if you hate your brother, you're just going to stumble around in darkness the rest of your life, and you really can't tell people you love God if you continue to hate your brother. I also learned from Mark chapter 11 and 1 Peter chapter 3 that if I hold on to bitterness, it affects my prayer life. If you got something against somebody, let it go if you want God to answer your prayers. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how bitterness is toxic to every relationship, that you've got to go down and dig it up by the root or it's going to ruin like the whole garden. In Acts chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 18, it, I learned that bitterness becomes my own prison. Like Lou Smeads used to say, to, to forgive is to release a prisoner and discover that the prisoner was you. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. He said it makes your offering to God unacceptable. If you come to worship and you want to give God an offering, you want to praise God, go make it right with somebody first and then come back. Change, change, change that heart. It changes my personality and my attitude. It makes me animalistic. David talks about that in Psalm chapter 73, how it turned him into an ignorant brute beast when he held on to bitterness. I've learned also it leads me away from God. It leads me into trouble. It makes me make all kinds of stupid, impulsive decisions based on negative emotion rather than on the truth of God. And lastly, I've learned it destroys my health. There is all kinds of exhaustive research that has been done. That, that when, when it says like that, that person who's a royal pain in the neck, or somewhere lower on the spinal column, guess what? That could be the very reason you hurt. 
Studies show that resentment leaks into our joints. It leaks into our gut. It leaks into our heart. And a lot of people who are sick or stay sick are there because of unresolved bitterness in their lives. You see, it's not so much what you eat, but what eats you that'll take you out. Look what it says in Job chapter 21. It says, some people stay healthy till the day they die. They die happy and at ease. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. How would you like that on your tombstone? He lived, she lived and died with a bitter heart. Not me. On the flip side, as hard as it can be, forgiveness is what brings freedom. Forgiveness is what brings the peace that we're looking for. Now, as you might imagine, the God of second chances, the same Holy Spirit that was on David's life, who spoke to him in that cave and who lives in us, has a lot to say about forgiveness, such as Colossians chapter 3, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, after I surrendered my life uh, to Jesus Christ, I knew that all of my past, as dark and as horrible as it was, had been completely forgiven, washed clean. I had been made brand new. So when I came to this verse, I began to understand that if God could forgive all of my nasty junk, who was I to hold a grudge and live with a heart full of resentment and bitterness toward other people? And that word must just jump out at me. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you ought to maybe think about it too. No, you must forgive others. Freedom and peace comes with no other option. If I've invited Jesus Christ into my life and experienced his incredible forgiveness for my truckload of sin, now I must extend the same kind of forgiveness I have received to other people. In in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, don't you realize how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God has been with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? And I read that and think, if God has given me his grace, when I deserved his anger and his justice, then who am I to withhold grace from those who have hurt me? That's one of the most special things to me about doing communion together on, on a weekend. We come to, to worship and we have a chance to slow down and reflect and take a piece of bread and a cup of juice. I'm always reminded of how much I have been forgiven for. And I'm also reminded that I've got to forgive other people. Because you know what I do when I take that bread and I take that cup? I, I'm so thankful for the way Jesus has forgiven my sin. I take that tray and I pass it to another human hand. And I'm reminded that I'll never have to forgive somebody else any more than God's already forgiven me. I know that maybe right now some of you are saying, I hear you, bro. It's cool and all, but you don't understand. They owe me. My parents, they hurt me bad. They, they owe me. Those kids at school, they owe me. My brother, he owes me. That old girlfriend owes me. That ex-spouse, oh, they owe me. And if I let them off the hook, it just wouldn't be fair. They will pay. And I get it. You used to feel the same way. 
And then I read this about the new condition that my heart must get to as a follower of Jesus Christ. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You see, gang, we owed God. Aren't you glad he didn't give us fair? Instead, he gave us grace. He gave us his son, and he paid the debt that our sins had racked up. Therefore, we must forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Our freedom, our sanity, our relational health depends upon this. So how do you do this? How do you let go and extend forgiveness to people who have hurt you in your life? Let me just share some things that have helped me and lots of other people based upon Scripture and just living life um, uh, in the truth of God. Um, I think you always start by inviting the great forgiver, God, to be involved in this process. You get alone with him, you carve out some time, get in a remote place, maybe a cave, I don't know. But you grab a pen, you grab some paper, and you just start writing. Maybe just, you know, you, you write down a prayer or something like this where you go, God, Thank you for being involved in this process. I want to thank you for your incredible patience and kindness and grace toward me. I just wanted to admit that I haven't always shown the same kind of grace toward people who have hurt me. Instead, I've held on to my resentment, my bitterness, my anger, my thirst for revenge for way too long. So right now, I'm asking for your help. Please bring to mind all the people I need to forgive so that I can do that right now. And then start listing the names of all the people that God brings to your mind. And if a name comes to your mind, write it down. Now, they may or may not need forgiveness from you. They may be a totally innocent party, but their name might lead you to a story that may take you deeper into discovering the real who that needs forgiveness from you. Also, a lot of times, we hang on to stuff. And we punish ourselves for things that we've done in the past. So as you're listing names, always at the bottom, write down myself. Just forgive yourself. Forgiving yourself is embracing the truth that God has forgiven you. If Jesus Christ has already forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. Now let me just throw out a few things that I'm learning about forgiveness. There's some things that forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know how some people say, oh, forgive and forget. Let me ask you, can you really do that? That's kind of impossible. You, you cannot 100% forget. Hurts leave scars. And sometimes even hurts leave constant daily reminders because of the circumstances in which their actions have now placed you. So it's not about erasing your memory. It's about giving up your right to get even. And you have to do it sometimes over and over and over. As Jesus said 70 times 7 every time they show up. It's erasing the bitterness. It's erasing the revenge and the hate. Forgiveness also is not saying, no big deal, nah, no big deal. It was a big deal. It did hurt you. Don't minimize it, don't rationalize it, don't excuse it away. You need to be honest with the gravity of the hurt. You need to go, go with God to the emotional core and deal with all that anger and disappointment so that you can forgive from your heart. You allow God to go, go below the surface and bring up those painful memories and then acknowledge how you feel, how you really feel toward those people who have hurt you. Because if forgiveness doesn't touch the emotional core of your life, it will be incomplete. Too often, we're afraid of the pain, so we just bury our emotions deep down inside of us. In this process, let God just bring those to the surface. Let it out. 
One of the most poignant scenes in any movie in recent memory for me was a scene in Forrest Gump where his girlfriend at the time, Jenny, goes back to her house of her childhood where she experienced all kinds of abuse at the hands of an alcoholic father. And she stares at that old homestead for a while, and then she just starts picking up rocks and hurling them at this house, breaking windows, hitting the siding. And so she starts sobbing, and she collapses there in the dirt. And then Forrest's voice is heard over top the scene saying, I guess sometimes there just ain't enough rocks. Now, I'm not suggesting you throw rocks. But I am saying you got to get honest and allow God to touch your emotional core where it really hurts. Where all that hurt, all that hate's been festering, all that anger, all that disappointment, all the heartbreak, all the pain, so that you can forgive from the heart and be free. And then you realize that forgiveness is not a feeling either. Forgiveness is always a choice. It's a decision of your will. You don't wait until you feel like forgiving, because I'm telling you, you'll never get there. It's a decision to surrender to the authority and leadership of God. To do this is a step of obedience. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And since God requires you and me to forgive, it's something that we can do. He's not going to ask us to do anything. He's not going to help us accomplish. I'm learning that once you choose to forgive, God starts to heal all those damaged emotions in you. I've got a really good friend who did this process, continually does this process, actually. He had all kinds of pain and resentment, bitterness toward people that hurt him in the past. And because of his actions, uh, a lot of addictions in his life, he had a bunch of regret about people he had hurt. So he sat down with the help of God, and he made a list. And then he went back to some of the people and made amends and just let it go. Now, just a real quick disclaimer here. Sometimes it's not possible or profitable or even advisable to go back to someone who's hurt you. Some people may have changed. Some people may be remarried. Some have moved away. Some have died. Some don't even know that they hurt you. And for you to show up 30 years later and say, you did this to me, would probably do a lot more damage than it would good. But my buddy, whose life is being completely transformed by God, by this process and just walking with God every day, as it was possible and as, and as it was profitable and wise, he was able to go back uh, to his hometown and find some people that he needed to ask forgiveness from, people that he had lied to, people that he had gossiped about, people that he had cheated, exploited, people that he had stolen from. He went back to the house of one guy, knocked on the door, and he says, you don't know me, but when I was 17 years old, I was doing drugs, I needed money, I broke into your house, and I stole your bass guitar, and I sold it for 300 bucks. I'm now 53 years old. I've been doing the math. The interest on that would be, and he handed the guy like $1,500. He just felt like he had to do it. Uh, he went back to old houses. He went to old school buildings. He even stood in front of tombstones and cemeteries and expressed his forgiveness to people who had hurt him and were no longer around. And it was so healing, such an important step on his journey toward freedom. And I don't know, maybe you need to take a road trip. You know, maybe you need to get an empty chair and set it in front of you and talk to it like the person is actually sitting there and just say what you need to say. Or maybe you need to write a letter with, with honest emotion and never send it. Just let it out and then choose to let it go. And every time you end by saying, and starting today, 
I'm going to forgive you the same way Christ has forgiven me. You see, forgiveness is God's way of ending the cycle of abuse. And I know some of you right now might be saying, but bro, you don't know how much they hurt me. You're right. I do not. But I do know this. Until you let go of your anger and your resentment and your hatred and your bitterness and your thirst for revenge, that person is allowed to keep hurting you. We can't rewind and undo the past. But we can walk free from it. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I grew up watching the old TV sitcom, The Andy Griffith Show. You've ever seen this show? It's on TV land. Like, every day it's on. Uh, there, were, there were characters like Barney Fife and uh, Goober and uh, Floyd the Barber, Opie, Ernest T. Bass, uh, Aunt B. And there's this guy named Otis. Otis was the uh, self-described town drunk. And he would stop by the sheriff's often, uh, office often and lock himself up in a cell and just kind of sleep it off. Now, as a kid, I thought the funny thing was that they hung the keys right there where he could just reach out of the bars and grab them and unlock the door and leave anytime he wanted to. And the keys are hanging up right outside your cell. Choose to forgive. Let it go. Walk out of the cave, walk out of the prison of bitterness, and live free. I think we need to pray about this. Uh, Father, um, first of all, I just want to thank you as we have all morning in the songs we've sung and times of communion. Thank you for your forgiveness and your great, unfailing, unconditional love for us. And Jesus, we want to learn how to love like you. You told us one time that those who've been forgiven much, they love much, and we want to be people that love much. And we just want to admit to you right now, there, there's some junk inside of us, some payback, some revenge, some grudge, some resentment we hold on to, some bitterness that's wreaking havoc in us, and we got to let it go. We have no other option. You let all of it go with us. And you know that we'll be free if we do that. So God, I, I pray that many of us will do our homework this week. Even as we leave this place or before we leave this place, there might need to be some forgiveness that happens. Some hugs that are exchanged. Some phone calls that are made. A text that gets sent. Uh, Father, you, you'll lead us, and I know you will. You'll give us the courage to do it. You, you always do. But Father, I pray we'll listen well. And that we won't walk out of here today going, yeah, that was... A, Good, good weekend, but we'll actually work on this. We, this will be something that we do so that we can walk free. I thank you for putting an obscure story like this and, and sandwiched in the Bible about a guy in a cave just to show us that we, we can have restraint and we can have forgiveness and we can make the right decisions in the moment. So, Father, thank you for what you taught us today, and, and I pray we'll act upon it all week long. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our forgiver. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here this weekend. Have a great week. See you back next time.